Coaches sometimes try to create robots out of players. Good coaches will take their players, get to know them, get to know what they're capable of doing, what they're not capable of doing, and really go after what they're capable of doing and fine tune it. Welcome to episode 258 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. First off, Happy New Year. As I look outside at minus 20 and snow and look at the forecast, which has highs in the minus 30s, I have to admit, my mind has drifted to the days of summer where those temperatures are in the positives and we're all enjoying some baseball. Hopefully this crazy cold spell is short-lived, although it would be nice to get lots of snow in the next couple of months. Then that moisture can help our farmer friends and also hopefully mitigate that summer wildfire season. Now, usually we wait until the latter half of January to get going with the new season of the podcast. However, we've had a few great conversations over the last few weeks, and we didn't want to delay getting them out into the world any longer. It won't be long before pitchers and catchers report in Major League Baseball, the U.S. college season is right around the corner, as is the CCBC season, and before we know it, we'll be into the summer season here at home. One of the big ticket events coming in just a few days is the annual National Coaches Clinic being put on by the Blue Jays Baseball Academy. Usually it's held at Rogers Center, but with the second phase of renovations underway, they decided to hit the road, and this year the clinic is being held at Weber Academy in Calgary from January 19th to 21st. Several Alberta organizations are planning to attend the event, which will feature guest coaches Ernie Witt, Pat Borders, Devon White, Buck Martinez, Ashley Stevenson, and Chris Reedsma. We'll be chatting with Witt in a few minutes, but first we'll set the stage for the event with TJ Burton, who's with the Blue Jays as their program manager of amateur baseball. TJ, thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I know it's minus 20 out there right now as we record this. It's supposed to be upwards of minus 40 by the end of this week here in Alberta. So who knows what next week will bring. However, how excited are you to get the team out here to Calgary for Weber Academy and the National Coaches Clinic? Yeah, I think we're uh, I think we're excited as an organization, like something we, we used to always run the National Coaches Clinic annually. We used to have it here at Rogers Center. Um, and it was kind of the last piece from a Blue Jays Baseball Academy standpoint that we needed to bring back post-pandemic. Um, you know, it just hadn't really worked out. And with the renovations of the stadium, it's even delayed it even more. So we kind of figured instead of waiting another year to get it going, um, you know, we reached out to some contacts across the country and identified Alberta, obviously, as a place that didn't really have a coaches clinic. Um, and reach out to the provincial office and they've been tremendous and reached out to Weber about using their facility, which is great. So uh, we're really excited to get back at it and um, have our speakers be able to educate these coaches, give them an opportunity to get professional development points um, and just have an all around great weekend of talking baseball. So for those who haven't taken part in one of these before, what can they expect over those three days? Yeah, so basically there's there's it's broken up into parts. So on Friday, anybody who signs up uh, has the ability to take an optional NCCP course. So if you don't know what NCCP is, basically it's it's their points that need to be accumulated in order to be a coach at provincial level tournaments or national level tournaments. So and sometimes just a coach in general. So um, usually there's a cost to these things and whatnot. But as part of this program, we work with Baseball Canada, Baseball Alberta. Um, in getting facilitators out there and we pick up the cost for it and it gives the ability the coaches that attend an ability to accumulate some points and learn some stuff about baseball so that's on the friday um on the saturday 
is when the speaker series, we're going to kick it off at the kids clinic in the morning. Cause why not? We're there. So um, we'll have 75 kids at the facility in the morning. And then starting at noon, Buck is going to act as our host. He's also going to be a speaker and he'll start introducing the speakers one by one. And each one has kind of a broken out topic, which they'll discuss for 35 minutes. They'll go, they'll kind of break it down into different points and we open it up for a Q and a, um, after the speaker series is done, we'll walk right into kind of a coach's social, which is a lot of the attendees, you know, fondest memories maybe of the weekend is, you know, you get to have a beer or have a Coke or whatever you're have a water with, you know, former world series champions and, you know, somebody like Buck who you see on a nightly basis during the season and just be able to talk baseball, ask questions. And then on the Sunday morning, we actually allow the coaches to come on to the field, um, and actually ask questions and have our speakers demonstrate drills that they can take back to their associations and teach to the youth. Very cool. A great lineup, as mentioned, Buck Martinez at the head of it. You've got Ernie Witt, who's going to be joining us on the podcast in a little bit. Pat Borders, Devon White, Ashley Stevenson, a little bit of everything in that mix. How important was it for you to bring in a few different perspectives and a few different ideologies, maybe when it comes to coaching? Yeah, I think it's a, you know, the, when we started doing these, it was pretty easy. It was kind of like almost baseball was being taught the same way by everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the, the, you know, the evolution of baseball, I think, you know, there's a lot of new tricks and, and different things that are involved in coaching now and just baseball in general. So I think having people that are involved in it currently, having people that are involved in, it in the past and, and really bringing those folks together, I think the the commonality is baseball and wanting to, make these coaches better because, you know, at the end of the day, we, I always say when people talk about our programming, we, we hit all different facets, but I think one of the most important things we can do is educate coaches because, Mm -hmm. you know, when we walk into a province and, and run events, you know, we're only there for two or three days. So, but these coaches, they're the ones that have you throughout the summer. So being able to have such a diverse group go over some really important topics was, was, um, really important to us and being able to add, we added Chris Reitzman yesterday. So mm-hmm. being able to have him, you know, with all his experience on the international level, major league level and what he's doing now um, to have him be able to join and, and talk to the coaches about pitching and throwing in general uh, was a huge add for us as well. It's interesting. The kind of the lockstep that this happens to go along with baseball Canada unveiling its strategic plan uh, a couple of months back here and, and the talk about elevating the game and that kind of thing. And there's always that focus on the player aspect of that of things. But at the same time, there's got to be that added onus to to build the coaches back up as well. How much of that kind of plays into being able to elevate the game at the grassroots level for you? Yeah, I think, you know, it's a great point. The strategic plan was, you know, it was exciting to see and and see it out on paper and think about, you know, how exciting the future is for baseball in this country. And, um, you know, from a coaching standpoint, I know Kelsey McIntosh, well, Baseball Canada is really trying to dig in there and see where the, the holes are and how they can get better, you know, announcing the women's, uh, the women's coaching program was huge for the, for the sport office. Um, and just, you know, having things like this, I think are important, but really diving into, you know, the Blue Jays have a partnership with Baseball Canada when it comes to rally cap. And that's kind of the entry level point for baseball in this country. And, you know, how do we provide videos and whatnot to make sure that those parent volunteer coaches, you know, are creating a good experience for those for those youth? Because, you know, that's the age where they're coming into this sport and they're going to say to mom and dad, like, 
wow, I had a great time. I can't wait till next year. Or that wasn't, that wasn't a lot of fun. And a lot of that, a lot of that's going to be dictated by their coaches. So, you know, to, to have the opportunity to have such an impact on coaches is, is again, super important. Mm-hmm. It's interesting as well. You mentioned like the, the fun aspect of things is there's always that uh, onus of, Hey, we got to win ball games and that kind of thing. But even the skill development piece, that's more important than the wins and losses at the end of the day. And if you can arm some of these coaches with some of those skills to, to pass on to those kids, they're going to want to continue to learn and continue to grow in the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a huge advocate for winning and losing. I think it's an important skill to have. I think you need to learn how to win. I think, you know, some people will say you never want to learn how to lose, but you know, it is part of the game and it's something that you're going to have to deal with, whether you deal with it, whether that fuels you to be better or you, you learn to put it aside and, and move on. I think those are two different ways to look at it, but development of the, of youth and athletes, like that's the name of the game, right? Like these kids until they get to like a collegiate level, um, talking from a baseball standpoint, like that's when winning and losing like really matters, right? Mm-hmm. Like you go through tournaments and you're going to play and it's going to be nice to win and you're going to want to win. Um, but the idea is to develop and create a path for you to get to college and, and, and really be ready to win when they get there and have all the, the tools and all the information they need to be able to be successful at that level. Mm-hmm. You mentioned coming back and bringing the coaches clinic back to back to the road kind of thing, especially after the pandemic. There was sort of this I feel like there's this opportunity that baseball's really taking on in this country when it comes to some of the challenges that hockey's faced and the concussion issues in football, for example. And baseball, especially cost wise, isn't that bad comparatively speaking so how much of that kind of plays into it is hey we've got this great opportunity here to really maybe capture a few of those athletes that might have picked hockey in the past or football in the past and and who are the true athletes who can uh play hockey or play baseball so talk about being able to kind of take advantage of the the momentum that baseball has grown over the last few years yeah, I think, you know, like really the last five to seven years outside of, uh, you know, a little bit of time there in the pandemic, the momentum for baseball has continuously been going up. Mm. Um, I think part and parcel, you know, we've had some really good Blue Jays teams in those years and some pretty exciting players to follow. And um, but I think just in general, to your point, like I think people and parents have looked at the sport of baseball as a pretty cool sport to get my kids involved with. It's the summer where sitting out in the sun, I'm not in a cold hockey rink, you know, football, you know, whether you agree with it or not, can be a violent sport. Some parents that might turn them off. And I think baseball's number one competitor, to be honest with you, I don't think it's hockey. I think it's soccer Mm -hmm. Uh, just because they're played at the same time. And it's kind of like, you know, at the young ages, you're going to play a summer sport and you're going to play a winter sport. So, you know, I think everybody knows what the winter sport leans to. Basketball's had a nice run here for the last little bit as well, but you know, soccer is going to be the big one. And I think when you look at the growth of soccer, um, it's been a lot in in new Canadians have, have really seemed to to really push themselves towards soccer. So it's kind of, you know, finding ways. And, you know, we live this with the Blue Jays here in a marketing department of like, how can we market ourselves better and just educate new Canadians on how great of a sport baseball is? You know, we had a... Uh, uh, day at the park this year that was like a cricket day and we brought in a very influential his name escapes me right now which is terrible but we brought in a very influential cricket player who came in and really 
you know, brought eyes to the sport of baseball from a, from a group of people that might not necessarily watch the sport. And it seemed to be very um, well received and something that was really caught a lot of eyes. So it's, it's building off that momentum and finding ways to, you know, just attract people to play the sport. It's a beautiful game. It's a lot of fun. Again, it's played in the summer. Um, and you're starting to see that Canadians have a, have a place in this game, right? You have plenty of Canadians in the major leagues. You have plenty of Canadians in college baseball, minor league baseball. I know you have plenty of guests on your podcast that are all in that right now. So, um, you know, it's just, it's about creating good products and attracting new, new players to the sport. And when they get here, keep them in the sport, let them have fun. Not only that, and to kind of bring this conversation full circle, is the ability that we are seeing now of of the current athletes giving back to their communities. And here in Alberta, we talk a lot about Michael Soroka as an example. We talk about some of the the young guys who have been drafted and are now in the in the minor league system, or even those who've gone on to good college careers who are coming back doing the coaching thing. Or in in the case here with Ernie and Pat and Devon and Ashley and and Buck is they're giving back to that community. And now all of a sudden these young athletes are saying, Hey, if I can see it, I can be it. There's that opportunity that is really kind of coming to, to a head for baseball. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's hugely important, right? I think in any sport, you, you know, when you, the, your alumni program per se is like, it's what keeps the sport going, right? Because it's, it's the visual for the kid. Like I've always, you know, I've done a lot of interviews about, you know, our showcase tournament and why do we do it and why do we open the doors to all the major league teams and why don't we just make this a Blue Jays thing and and just major league and collegiate players and minor league baseball players, it doesn't matter who, what college we're going to, what major league team we're with, what minor league team they're with, it's important that they're Canadian and it's important that they were, they grew up in a community and played community baseball. Like I, you know, I always use the, the Joey, Joey Votto reference, you know, somebody watches Joey Votto win the MVP and then they start looking at it a little bit. They're like, Oh, he's Canadian. Oh wait, he's from Etobicoke. He played for the Etobicoke Rangers. Like my cousin plays for the Etobicoke. And you can actually start connecting the pieces of like somebody actually just grew up here and did that and became the national league MVP. So I think it's it's seeing guys like Staroka and some of this new wave come in. And I know he works out at the facility we're going to. and But he's always been a, a guy that's gone back to Calgary. You see him at the Baseball Canada dinner. And, you know, whenever we've needed anything from him, he's always been so gracious with his time and talking about what, you know, our showcase tournament meant to him at that point in the career and with the junior team. So, like, without those type of guys – um the sport doesn't it the kids have no visual to look at you know it's one thing to look at i don't know i'm going to create a terrible example shohei otani shohei otani is not from canada right mm -hmm. shohei is from japan you know you pick a player from california it's the same thing it's like oh well they grew up in california that's why they're good at baseball um so i think it's hugely important in the baseball the canadian baseball community and the alberta baseball community and the ontario baseball community it's it's a close, close knit group. Um, mm -hmm. It's a lot of pride that goes into it. And when you're a part of it, there's a responsibility you have. And I think most guys understand that.
Mm -hmm. A couple more questions for you before we let you go. You mentioned it earlier, the the Canadian Futures Showcase, and Alberta really kind of reigns supreme there. The MVP, Simon Baker from Cochrane, is a Weber Academy guy. The home run derby winner was from Red Deer, Nathan Fluelling. Uh, he's a, a St. Joe's Academy product. Like there's a, there's some really strong performances. And then you add in the fact that you're coming out to Alberta. I am curious from a Blue Jays Academy perspective, when you look out at this province, what do you see? I see a real strong baseball province. I see great players coming out of there every year. I've been involved with the showcase since it started. So close to 12 years now. And year over year, I've had some opportunities to coach with the junior national team and seen some of the players that have gone to that program as well. And, but just watching a team like Vauxhall or Okotoks, like just the, the volume of players going to collegiate baseball. I mean, Alberta's right up there with a lot of the provinces. I think, you know, when you look at power of provinces, it always usually comes down to population, right? Like mm -hmm. everybody's always like, oh, everyone's so bullish on Ontario is the best. You know, they, they always get the most kids and everything like that. Well, you know, there's 7 million people in Toronto. So that's why there's more kids from Ontario that go, you know, that may be on the national team. But like, when you look at population and density and kids that are playing baseball and you talk about percentages of those players that are going on to the next level, I bet you Alberta is pretty high on that list. Um, and that's what I look for. I look at like population and then how many kids are playing at that next level. And it seems the good ones from Alberta are usually really good. Um, and it comes from, you know what, they, they Okotoks does an amazing job, you know, going there and seeing, what John Iricandy has done and and that facility and and then you know what Les has done at Box Hall and now Weber's come on board and there's so many other great programs all across Alberta, St. Albert, and just it's such a baseball province. Um, you know, I know Greg Morrison out in Medicine Hat. It's just there everywhere you look, Todd Hopka with PBA, it's like everywhere you look, there's there's just little baseball hotbeds all throughout the province. So I would rank it as as a very high province. Uh, some of my favorite Canadian kids in the last couple of years have been Alberta kids. So um, it's fun to watch and uh, they're all very proud to be from Alberta as well. A lot of great, uh, great movements happening here and also some, some great programs sprouting up all over the place. As you mentioned, Medicine Hat and the Mavericks have just launched their, their new program there in the last couple of days. So a lot of exciting times here, including uh, the National Coaches Clinic. Before we let you go, TJ, we're going to ask you the one question we ask everyone here on the show. What does the game of baseball mean to you? The game of baseball to me, I mean, from a personal level, like the game of baseball is, I mean, it's been my life. And I say that not as like, I'm this massive, massive baseball fan. I am. But I just, you know, I, I grew up playing baseball. My 20s were all spent playing professional baseball and, and traveling the world with the national team and being able to be in the Olympics. And then right out of that, I came into working with the Toronto Blue Jays and being in Toronto where, you know, I've, I've created a family and I have great friends and most of my best friends are all involved in baseball. So for me, just baseball is just such a community and it's just such a huge part of my life. I couldn't imagine doing something that wasn't in baseball fantastic stuff well tj really looking forward to having you and the team down here in calgary uh next weekend thank you so much for shedding a little light on on what you got planned and thanks so much for joining us here on the show awesome thanks so much
Next up is one of the guest coaches who has regularly made the rounds of clinics around this country and has become an honorary Canadian. Ernie Witt had a 15-year major league career, with most being with the Blue Jays from 1977 to 1989, where he was also an all-star in 1985. After his playing career came to an end, the Michigan native became an active ambassador for baseball in Canada, including becoming head coach of Team Canada starting at the 1999 Pan Am Games. He's headed up the national team on 18 different occasions, posting a 71-36 record, and was most recently the skipper of Canada's team at the World Baseball Classic. To get a glimpse into what to expect at the upcoming Blue Jays Academy Coaches Clinic, here is Ernie Witt. Ernie, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Joe. I'm looking forward to talking with you. We are about a week away from the Blue Jays Academy Coaches Clinic at Weber Academy. What excites you the most about these opportunities to chat with the grassroots coaches? Well, you know, I, I think with the experience I have and some of the other instructors that are coming in, I think we can shed some light uh, into how they can conduct practices, how they can get the most out of their, their kids, how they can continue to have fun, but also learn the game of baseball. Not to give too much away about what you're going to be talking about at the clinic, but what's your main message for those coaches when you do clinics like these? Be prepared. You know, before you show up to practice, be prepared. Don't just bring out some bats and balls and throw them out there and say, here we go, guys. We're going to have some batting practice. We might catch a few ground balls. We might catch a few fly balls. Be organized with it. I mean, and that gains the respect of the players, too. They say, oh, my coach knows what he's talking about. He knows what we want to do and what we want to establish. It's interesting, especially when it comes to development. It feels as though there's a lot of emphasis on wins and losses and not necessarily on the development and making sure that the team as a whole gets from one spot early on in the season to later on in the season when they start maybe winning some games. How much of that is uh, ebbed and flowed into what you talk about with these coaches? Is it a matter of making sure that there's a, a personal and team development more so over the course of the year or or should there be more emphasis on wins and losses? No, I think at, at the level, depending on the level where they're at, number one, I mean, if we get down to the, you know, the probably 13, 14 and under, it should be about total development. Wins and losses shouldn't matter. I mean, you want to see the development. As you said earlier, you said, okay, we're going to start here at plan A, but we should have a plan to get to plan B and also plan C. And whether you do it uh, on a weekly basis, two weekly basis, a monthly basis, that's what you should do, and that's solely what the coaches should be trying to do is develop those kids so that they are developing, and you can see improvements. They can see improvements. All of a sudden, a smile will come on their face, and, well, I've, I'm accomplishing something. I'm doing something, and I am getting better at it. You've been in the coaching game for a while now. How much has changed in terms of coaching the athletes and dealing with uh, what I guess I'll call the personalities that come with those athletes? Well, I think the biggest thing, Joe, is the fact that coaches sometimes try to create robots out of players. Uh, good coaches will take their players, get to know them, get to know what they're capable of doing, what they're not capable of doing, and really go after what they're capable of doing and fine-tune it so that they can improve on those. You still work on the skills that they need even more improvement on, but again, you, you want them to develop where they are really good at so they're really feeling good about themselves. Mm -hmm. What's the best way to manage 
those personalities in your eyes so they can still be themselves but they're also helping achieve the goals of the team or to achieve the goals that they might have personally it's communication and again as you go up higher and into the levels uh it's just communicating with the kid and being honest with them hey this is i, I think you're really strong at your arm strength is really strong but we really have to become accurate with it a little bit more and I think if you do that and you carry those conversations on during the course of the season, uh, that, that kid will definitely start listening to you and seeing the improvements too. But again, you have to know as a coach how to communicate with them and also how to, so he can correct his mistakes, how to correct those mistakes. How much of a game changer has the analytics side been? in your eyes as far as personal development and, and getting players to where they need to be? Well, I mean, analytics, they're good to an extent. I, I think there, there's some real good stuff that comes out of it, but I think there's some stuff too that I think our kids get so wrapped up into it is that this is where they become robots. And, you know, there's like, well, I want to have this swing path. I've got to hit this launch angle. I have to, uh, have this spin rate on the ball when I'm pitching. All that can be good, but sometimes you can overwhelm a kid with it too. Whatever happened to see the ball, hit the ball, you know, the direction of your bat going after trying to hit it, throwing strikes with accuracy, uh, all those come into play that in a way it does go back to a little bit of analytics, but not totally analytic. Mm -hmm. Is there an effect on mindsets and resilience when athletes become or coaches become into the weeds when it comes to the analytic side as well. And I'll use the example, you know, we used to see the days where, where closers would have like a three inning save and now starters barely go five innings. It seems, is there a bit of a sense of if you don't let them go through a little bit of adversity, they're not going to be able to, they're not going to be able to get through it when they do face it in the early going kind of thing. Talk about your, your thoughts on sort of the ability of some of these athletes and some of these coaches to oversee some of those analytics side, just to let the players battle. Well, I think you have to battle and that goes through player development. You have to, the, the number one, the game is made up of failure. I mean, you're, you're going to fail more. You're going to be successful. So unless that child or that kid that goes through, he's got to have some failure. So, so that he can progress to be better. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't like the fact that like now in professional ball in the minor leagues, there's, there's limits of what they will allow those athletes to do, which I think is wrong. I've always felt that, the game will dictate what you do as a coach or as a manager. Um, I've always felt, I know what I can see. My eyes can see what is going. If I see a pitcher throwing out there and he's not laboring at all, he's not struggling, he's throwing strikes, he's getting quick outs, and he's only thrown 60 pitches, I'm going to let him stay out there because I don't see anything where it's hurting him, could hurt him, but it's also going to help him in development. I don't like the mindset that some of our, our coaches at the higher level are putting on, well, you can only throw 50 pitches and that's it. You have to come out. How do you strengthen an arm with only 50 pitches? I mean, again, 
that might be difference between relief pitching and starting pitchers. But again, the mindset should be if I start the game, I want to finish the game. Mm -hmm. And conversely, there's also that idea of protecting players from from injury and totally understand that is there. It's a, it's almost like walking a, a tightrope, right? And it really does depend on the coaches and what they see uh, with their eyes versus what they might see with analytics or what they might see with the stats that back up whatever their preconceived notion might be. Right, Joe, don't get me wrong. I think at the lower levels, you have to have limitations on these kids. Mm -hmm. Because again, you don't want to hurt them. You want them to continue to develop and get stronger. Uh, so again, it's not about, again, at the younger levels, of, it's about winning, it's about developing. Mm -hmm. So if you can increase that pitcher throwing an extra 10 pitches that game and he's not struggling, he's had no stressful innings, why not do it? It's not really going to affect him. What I'm talking about is like when I'm managing the Canadian national team, if I see a pitcher out there throwing and he's just breezing through, I'm not going to say because we're going through the lineup the third time, I'm going to take him out of the game. That, that doesn't happen because I know what I'm seeing. I don't know what's out in the bullpen. I know I have some good arms out there, but maybe they're going to have an off day. So if I bring them in and all of a sudden we give up the lead, shame on me for doing that. Mm-hmm. Changing gears a little bit. Speaking of Team Canada, you've now been coaching that program for better part of 25 years. What's it meant to you to be able to head up a national organization for that long? It's been awesome. Absolutely awesome. I've I've had more enjoyment. And I, this is crazy. People don't believe I have had more enjoyment managing and coaching the Baseball Canada teams in the Olympics, the Pan Am Games, the World Cups. Uh, than I did during playing 15 seasons in the big leagues. I mean, there was great moments playing in the big leagues. And believe me, I feel like it was very fortunate to spend that much time in the big leagues. But to go and, and represent a, a whole country and you have that country on your chest and you deal with players that have so much pride and passion for the game and how they want to represent their country it is it's night and day because international play is more of a sprint. Big league play is 162 games. It's a marathon. So I guess I like the sprints. <laughs> Hard to believe too, that you've been doing it all while being a proud Michigan native as well. And being, I saw the t-shirt, a big deal in Canada. Uh, <laughs> talk about being able to have, I'll call it dual citizenship here. Like you've really kind of encapsulated the idea of being Canadian. Oh, I think it's it, it's awesome. You know, I, I love the country. The country's been, as the old baseball saying, has been good to me. But, you know, I spend a lot of time up in Canada. I spend a lot of time in Ontario and in Toronto. Um, and it feels like home. You know, I, I, I've got a lot of friends that are very uh, supportive of me and the fact that they keep asking me to come back and manage the teams and be a part of it it's it's awesome uh i know this weekend we've got our big dinner up in toronto the baseball canada dinner which is a big fundraiser for us i'm so much looking forward to seeing a lot of my uh, teammates that i had or and also players that have played for me and how they have got on and continue to supporting baseball canada what drew you initially to the idea of, of coaching a program, a national program like Baseball Canada? 
I, I just felt like it was an honor that they would come to me and ask me to do it. Uh, at that time, when they asked me, I was I was coaching with the Blue Jays at the time, and I, I was basically the catching coordinator, but I also did some managing. And um, after my first event, which was in Winnipeg, the Pan Am Games in 1999, uh, I said, "Wow, this is this is a lot of fun." Because again, I was seeing different passions coming out in these players and the desire to, to play and compete and run through a brick wall uh, just to win. And I'm going, this is a lot of fun. I mean, that's, so at that point in time, I, I said, I love the challenge, you know, and uh, we've, we've developed a program. We have a culture that we have established with baseball Canada that, I want a player that comes in that wants to play, wants to compete, and no outside interference whatsoever. And that's why I ask them, guys, when you come into the locker room and you put on that jersey, all we're thinking about is winning. And we're going to go and we're going to play until the end of the game. Talk a little bit about, I'll call it the evolution of baseball in Canada since 1999, when, when you first started here. And even here in Alberta, we talk about how, you know, 2006 seemed to be a bit of a turning point is when Vauxhall got involved, when Okotoks uh, built its facilities. You're seeing new stadiums and new academies popping up here, but across the country, what have you noticed that's changed from 1999 until today? I've noticed that there's a lot of U.S. colleges that are going north of the border and finding players and bringing them down south to play in their programs. And to me, that's uh, a great start and also should be an inspiration to some of the players that are in high school that, hey, I may have the chance to go down south on a scholarship, baseball scholar, play real good competitive baseball and really assess how good am I? I'm competing against some of the best in North America. What do you make of the future when you think about even the, the World Baseball Classic here and, and the team that you were able to field, you had a few veterans, but you also had young guys like Damiano Palmiciani and Desan Brown in on that roster as well, getting to not necessarily get a lot of playing time, but get that feel for what international play is like. What do you see in the future of the game here? I see a lot of talent coming up. I really do. And you see it more and more. We're young, but it, it's, it's a feeder system that we have. I mean, uh, we have a, a junior program that a lot of these guys are now drafted after the junior program. They go on and play, and they're playing minor league ball. And if we can't access the big league players that have developed and made it to the big leagues, if they choose not to come or they've been traded and they've had injuries here before, they're not allowed to come, this gives the opportunity that you know, some of the younger players to come and play and compete at the highest level. They're playing against major league players. I mean, you look at the United States, Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, they're strictly all big league players. So this has given them the opportunity to come and compete, to actually kind of elevate their game, but also see where they need to improve to get better to play at that level all the time. Mm -hmm. Does it put a bit of the fire in the belly as well, especially I know that there's been a lot of talk about how the U.S. and Mexico and you need to be in the top two and, and you, you kind of have that real big challenge of trying to knock off one of those two to get into the 
into the championship brackets here. What do you think's got to happen for Canada to to get to that next level? We have to have full commitment from all the players playing in the big leagues that they're, they would they will come and play in the WBC. I think we're seeing a little bit more, but I'd, I'd like to see it more players, more players at that level. If we had all of the players that are playing in the big leagues, we could compete. We we could compete, and I mean we're competing as it is now. Uh, we knew going into this last WBC that we had to beat Mexico. And, you know, of course, they've got an all big league club going out there. But, you know, through five innings, we did well. And then all of a sudden, you know, we, we had to bring in some younger players and and, you know, we got we got tossed up. But our, our game plan was we knew that it all boiled down to the game against Mexico. And then we just came up a little short. But again, the exposure that those younger guys have our minor league players. I mean, they started out playing in their home cities there in Ontario or throughout Canada and developed and went down and got an education and also at that point in time exposure into big league baseball. So, you know, professional baseball, I should say. And they're working up the ladder in the minor leagues. How heartening is it that it's not just Ontario as well when you look across and I mean, we're an Alberta-based show, so obviously we're going to sing the praises of guys who are in AA, AAA, who are knocking on the door now. We obviously had Mike Soroka uh, unable to pitch for you in the, in this past WBC, but there's there's talent coming from all corners of the of the country as well, and so you've got a bigger talent pool to draw from heading into the next WBC and beyond. No question, and that's why I think the the academy, uh, the Blue Jay Academy, going across Canada helping these kids and helping our coaches develop these younger kids and keep them excited about playing the game. We're getting kids, you know, at the senior level, at the junior level from all across Canada, as you said, which is, is really nice because we have a pretty good base of land to draw from. And uh, so it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to see the growth of baseball throughout Canada and yeah, like you said, there's been a lot of players coming out of uh, Alberta and Western Canada and Eastern Canada. So, I mean, it's, it's not just, it's not based in Ontario. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. What was different about this last WBC in your eyes? Because it felt like in past years, it was sort of a little blip on the radar. And this year it felt like it was a festival. Like it felt like there was a lot of excitement around it. What was different in your eyes? I just think that the fans are really becoming uh, engrossed in it. I mean, they, you look at the uh, the passion that these players are playing in front of their their audiences. That the countries have become so involved. I mean, you're playing, you know, you're playing uh, the Dominican Republic or or Venezuela, and I don't know whether you've ever gone and watched their winter ball games. Mm -hmm. It's like that all the time. I mean, they're just whistles, horns. You know, just total excitement. And it's, I, I think the enthusiasm is growing on the fan base side of it, which makes it popular to the players now too. Hey, I want to go and get involved in that. And the players talk to each other. And, and that's, that's a big part too. I mean, you want them to go back to their teammates and ex tell them what an experience they had, how exciting it was. And, and hopefully that will spark some other players that want to really 
come on and play and and continue to work to develop their skills so that they can compete at that level. Mm -hmm. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask a couple of playing questions and then we'll wrap things up. On the playing side of it, I'm always curious, I ask this of a lot of former pros, who's the guy who you hated facing? When you're in the batter's box and you went, you looked at the at, at the mound and went, oh, not this guy again. Who was that guy for you? For me, it was Nolan Ryan. Um, I, I faced him 10 times. He struck me out 10 times. But, Joe, I got to tell you, the seventh time I fouled the ball off and I just raised my hand and went, yes, I got him now. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't. But he he was, you know, I, I, I he was my nemesis that I, I – didn't strike out a lot, but he he had me, and uh, so that was it. I mean, it, we faced a lot of great pitchers, you know, back there in in the mid eighties. Kansas City had a lot of real good arms. The Yankees, of course, Boston, we always had battles with. Detroit, we had battles with. So, uh, you know, I just felt like I great opportunity just to face them, and and I had lucky with some, and not so much with others. When it comes to the most talented player you ever got to be a teammate with, who go, who's up there? Who's the maybe on your Mount Rushmore of of most talented guys that you got to play with? Wow, uh, Cal Ripken was one. My last year playing, I played against Cal for a number of years, but to actually be a teammate of his in 1991. Uh, really even gave me a more perspective of how good he really was on a daily basis. Uh, as far as locally, a guy that had so much talent and I thought that he was going to take over the Blue Jays was Kelly Gruber. Mm -hmm. he, well, he was such a tremendous athlete and, uh, you know, it just with injuries and stuff like that, uh, he just never fulfilled you know, the potential that he had. My favorite teammate of all time was George Bell. Uh, I just absolutely loved the guy. He, all he wanted to do was win and he would do whatever it took to win. And I like those type of players. Fantastic stuff. When it comes to the present day, obviously you're not just a, a coach or a former athlete, but also probably a fan as well. I'm curious, who piques your interest now? Who's the guy that makes you want to turn on the TV or go to the ballpark and, and watch a game? The one and only Otana. He's, uh, he's special, you know. Um, just a tremendous player. Mike Trout is a tremendous player all around, but Otani is... Uh, you know, to, to be able to do what he does pitching and, you know, how he hits the ball, he, he's got to be the top player. Mm -hmm. Final question for you. It's the one we ask everyone here on the show. What does the game of baseball mean to you? To me, almost everything. I feel like I've never gone to work. Not one day have I worked in my life where I've regretted going to the ballpark. I've had good days. I've had bad days, but... Uh, I, I look back on it and it, it's just like it, it was the best time and the best choice or opportunity that I had. So uh, I, I, it just means everything. Fantastic stuff. Well, again, Ernie, really appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you here in Calgary in, uh, in less than 10 days now. Really appreciate the time. Thanks so much and uh, looking forward to seeing you soon. I'm hoping a Chinook goes through and we'll have great, <laughs> great warm weather. 
Thanks, Joe. Thanks again to TJ Burton and Ernie Witt for joining us this week. We look forward to heading down to Weber Academy for the clinic, and we'll be having a few conversations there to share with you on future episodes of the podcast. Speaking of future episodes, want to know who's coming up next week? Well, it's none other than Baseball Canada CEO Jason Dixon, as we'll chat about the recent unveiling of the Baseball Canada strategic plan, which has a few interesting tidbits in it, including investigating the potential of an Academy National Championship. We also get into his time as an Edmonton Trapper, so make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss that or any future episode of our show. Before we go, we do want to tip our caps once again to our Platinum supporters for all they do for us and for baseball in Alberta. The Okotoks Dogs and AHP Academy have been phenomenal partners as their generosity has helped us cover costs like web hosting fees, subscription services, and editing software. If you want to learn more about our sponsors or to join our roster, head to albertadugoutstories.com supporters. Until next time, thank you you for all of your support online, on social, and on air of Alberta Dugout Stories.